0: Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the VCM Quick Strike for Monday, October 3rd, 2022. The Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, which is the UK's privacy and data watchdog, has fined four companies a total of £370,000 for breaking local privacy laws, this coming from InfoSecurity magazine. Apparently that these four companies made over 820,000 predatory marketing calls to people who had registered basically to not be contacted. And many of the complaints, the article states, were from the vulnerable elderly or those with severe health difficulties, said it caused significant distress. And so the calls, they were some of them were forcibly trying to make them buy products that they didn't need or want. Obviously, according to this quote here, all of the calls were driven slowly, solely by the company's wish to make a financial gain. The two, uh, four fine companies are Echo Sprains Insulations, Euro Seal Windows, Green Logic UK, and Posh Windows UK. I chose this article to be the lead off because I really get upset, particularly when those that are the m- most vulnerable among us, no matter what the situation is, are the ones that are targeted. And I hope that these fines have some effect. I also hope that they have effect of being a deterrence to further folks that are thinking about doing something like that. Part of my criteria for selecting articles for the quick strike and the wrap ups are if they have stories that we can all learn from, whether you're in InfoSec, Cybersecurity, or if you're a small business owner, here's one that all three of us can learn from. Unfortunately, it is a story that still keeps repeating itself. Um, from bleeping computer, a fired admin cripples former employer's network using old credentials. So after he was laid off, uh, IT system admin disrupted the operation of his former employer. Apparently, according to the U.S. Department of Justice, the defendant pled guilty yesterday, and it says yesterday, but this is from last week, to accessing his former computer's his former employer's website and making configuration changes to redirect web and email traffic to external computers. And to prolong the business disruption for several more days, he performed additional actions that essentially, according to the article, locked out the firm's IT team from the website admin panel. He admitted that his motive for causing the damage was to try to get a higher salary to get hired back by the firm. Apparently, the savior complex, I don't know, come back in and save the day. It's like, hey, call me and I can fix this for you real fast. It never works out. There are no shortcuts But the article does go on to point out one other important thing as well. And this is where the lessons come into play. The company's security practices cannot be overlooked since the perpetrator used his credentials that should have been canceled once he was terminated. That's why we do the user access reviews on a quarterly basis, or you should be doing that at least on a quarterly uh, basis to ensure that the process for terminating accounts is actually sounded in place. It's not necessarily for ensuring that the accounts themselves are terminated. What I always try to look for is that if there's consistently um, users that have not been deleted or disabled from folks that have been terminated, then I'm going to start looking at the processes as to why that happened. Now, this could have been a one-off mistake that happens, my suggestion to all of you out there is re-examine your offboarding procedures and termination of access. Well, not exactly directly information security related, but it is fraud related, and I think that it is good for all of us to have a greater awareness of the threat environment. This article, also from Information Security Magazine, discusses a couple who owned a few companies in the healthcare area that ran a scheme that apparently netted $6.7 million, this from January 2009 to June 2018, this across their three healthcare companies. The couple covertly, quote from the article, paid bribes and kickbacks to patient marketers over this period in return for referrals of Medicare patients. They signed fake contracts and then wrote checks to themselves and their employees, cashing them and using that money to pay the marketers kickbacks. I'm assuming that this is such a small operation that there wouldn't be security, privacy, or fraud aspects in place because it, this could have been literally a mom and pa shop. But just something to think about for larger organizations to kind of have a good idea on what the money is being used for, where it's going, and to be very clear on contracts and what they're being used for, because eventually, more likely than not, it will catch up with you. Do you use COM100? If you're not aware of what COM100 is, it is a provider of customer service and communications products, and they're all available as software as a service, although I think that that indicates that you can also run it in-house. Because apparently there was a supply chain attack that happened last week. Threat actors abused a free Com 100 live chat application to deliver payloads to organizations in the United States and Europe. This coming from Cyber News. Quote from the article, and this is a quote from CrowdStrike. This attack occurred from at least September 27, 2022 through the morning of September 29th, 2022. This trojanized file was identified at organizations in the Industrial, Healthcare, Technology, Manufacturing, insurance, and telecommunication sectors in North America and Europe. Forensics seem to indicate that it's Chinese in origin, and COM100 has released an updated installer. The link to that is in the article that's referenced in the show notes, although I did not click on the link to verify that link, just FYI. And then finally from Reuters, U.S. regulators on Tuesday fined 16 financial firms, including Barclays, Bank of America, and Citigroup, a combined total of $1.8 billion after staff discussed deals and trades on their personal devices and apps, this occurring between January of 2018 and September of last year. Apparently, the bank's staff routinely communicated about business matters such as debt and equity deals with colleagues, clients, and other third-party providers using applications on their personal devices. Now, the institutions didn't preserve the majority of these chats. Very hard to when you're using your personal devices and presumably personal accounts. And that is, of course, in violation with a lot of laws. There's some issues here with regards to how that actually got started in the first place in these institutions, and I'll talk more about that, have a few thoughts on it in 30 seconds. Some of you are probably familiar with the term shadow IT. For those of you that aren't, The way I would describe it is basically information technology that is not centrally managed within an organization. And this creates a lot of problems for both IT support, they can't support something they don't know about, and for information security because you can't protect information that you don't know about. Now, obviously, this produces a lot more risks too. In this case, compliance risk and regulatory risk, which resulted in a combined fine of $1.8 billion. And hopefully that fine will get people to start thinking and having conversations about making sure that we don't do this sort of mistake again in, in the future. Any organization, banks right now should be definitely ensuring that nobody on their staff are doing this. But think about why are they doing this? And this is where the problem, the root cause, if you will, of shadow IT comes into play. The people making loans, they're trying to do business. There's nothing nefarious here going on. They're trying to do business. And what I gather from this is that in these organizations, the friction to using centrally managed products, services, applications was greater than the business need. Now, that might not be the case in all of the situations. Some of them might have just gotten lazy, for example, But all organizations need to be able to ensure that they're providing the services needed to conduct business. That's what ends up happening as the root cause for shadow IT. The business needs to run the business. They need to do what they have to do in order to continue the business. And if IT and or information security are seen or actually are blockers in this, then that's a serious problem within the organization. I would submit that that responsibility lies on the CISO and the CIO's shoulders directly. They need to understand all the applications that are out there, all the information out there, and if there's any friction going on, the business leaders need to be able to successfully and completely convey that to the CIO, the CEO, the CISO, definitely also to the CEO. Mention that because ultimately it is the CEO's responsibility for all this as well. So how do you solve that? Well, the first thing, in my opinion, is that you have to ensure communication across the entire C-suite, if you will. Now, even in the small and mid-sized business world, this is vitally important. From a virtual CISO perspective, one of the activities that we do for our clients quarterly is conduct a board-authorized, board-chartered, Information Security Advisory Committee or Information Security Governance Committee or Strategic Information Security Committee. You can call it all sorts of different names. But the whole idea is to ensure that you've got that bidirectional flow of information both up the chain to the executives and down to the organizational business units so that you minimize the chance of this happening. Now, it's not going to totally eliminate the risk because you can't eliminate risk risk. No matter what you do, there's always going to be somebody or something that thinks maybe they can do it a little bit better. But if you can change the culture somewhat to ensure that this doesn't happen, then you won't be exposing yourself to fines or even something worse. Because what if these applications were compromised in any way, shape or form? That could be very, very bad. So think about it with regards to your organization. And that's it for this week. We've got a couple of great episodes coming up in the next couple of days. So tomorrow, Tuesday, have a conversation with Gary Chan. He is a security mentalist. I had a lot of fun talking with ja- uh, Gary. You need to definitely watch this episode, listen to this episode. And then on Wednesday, the first of the sessions that were recorded at Retreat at Montree College, the Retreat Cyber Security Conference there. This was a couple of weeks back. It's with Joe Jakobilski, and he's got some wonderful insights to share with us. So I hope you can join us and until then, stay secure.